the Caribbean. A vacationer's paradise. And yet this region was once a stronghold for outcasts, thieves, and murderers. A savage race that vanished hundreds of years ago. But what if there were survivors? And what if they kept their existence a secret from the outside world? What if someone found out? The island where civilization as we know it has taken a bizarre turn. Who are you? I mean, all of you. Are you some kind of religious cult? wanted to hit you, I could have hit you. How dare you speak to your father like that? You're not my father. Stop this make-believe. Fire! Pirates? I know it sounds crazy, but you better believe me. All those who have discovered the island have never been seen again. The Island, the super thriller from the author of Jaws and the Deep. Find the mainland man. Cut his throat. Ah! Mayday! Mayday! You guys wouldn't believe what the happened. Ah! Now, the most terrifying thing in the water is the island. Hello, and welcome to the Film and Water Podcast, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and uh, this week we have a Michael Caine double feature. It's very exciting to talk about two films from the legendary actor Michael Caine, and joining me is a return guest, Gotham Sheeran. Hi, Gotham. Hey, Rob. I'm very happy to have you back. Yeah, I'm very happy to be back. I, I, I love talking about movies, and, and actually I love talking about movies with you, so it's, this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you very much. So since the last time you were on the show, you have started a new podcast. Why don't you tell people about that? Oh, yeah. Um, so we've uh, – I've recently started a podcast actually about um, Masters of the Universe, so MotuCast. And uh, we're – originally we were planning to go through and do the, uh, the mini comics like one at a time and then like all different comics for them. But uh, I've kind of opened it up to just being like the – Masters of the Universe in general, uh, and uh, but uh, right now though I have to really probably talk about our shining jewel, which is the uh, <laughs> the Secret Wars podcast. So <laughs> everyone's tuning in for that one, <laughs> so, for sure. Um, it's good. It's funny. It's like I've been replaced on it though. I'm hurt deeply. You know, <laughs> uh, I see Sean. I see Sean like appearing on your all your guys' shows, and I'm like, oh, so I see how it is. <laughs> I've been replaced with the prettier one, huh? I get it. I get it. I get how it is. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy the Secret War show, even though I absolutely hate the comic books you're talking about. So I can't think of a, you know, think honestly, of a better testament to the show. It was, um, it was part of the reason I was like, when we were coming up on number two, I'm like, um, yeah, this is so bad. This is so bad. Like, I, I just can't. I can't. And then luckily we got... We got Greg and, you know, 
he just he puts me to shame with it like his like level of knowledge <laughs> of what's going on in the times um at that time so it's like we i love and he and sean have like a great chemistry so i love like listening to them it's kind of weird not like um uh sean uh edits those so it's kind of weird like not having heard them ahead of time so mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm. like in my own feed and being like oh wow this is a new show i haven't heard this one right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I digress. Speaking of the the Motu cast, though, I mean, of course, just a couple of months ago, there's that Netflix show, The Toys That Made Us, and they did that episode on the Masters of the Universe, and that was like my favorite episode of the series because I learned all new stuff. I mean, they had the episode about Star Wars, but I knew all that. But the, the all the backstory behind Masters of the Universe was really amazing, and I had those toys as a kid. That was really the last toy line. That I bought as sort of like, okay, I'm still it's still kind of okay to have toys. And so the your show was the perfect like thing to follow up on after that episode. I was like, okay, now, now I want to learn more about Masters of the Universe. Go back and deep dive on these crazy characters. Well, if you are always welcome to come talk about <laughs> like five and a half inch plastic toys with me <laughs> if you want. So I loved my Triclops figure. I know that. That's all I remember. So <laughs> oh, he was a cool character. Yeah, I know. I just, I, you know, I'm going to push my, my glasses up the bridge of my nose here, but like, the, <laughs> you know, the design aesthetic of it is, is so like, it's like unique and like, just like pitch perfect with like its palette choices Mm-hmm. You know, like just enough, like sort of like borderline candy color, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, to like catch the eye of a kid, but then also like very striking. And then, yeah, no, it's like, it's like, oh, just mix all the best things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's like fantasy and barbarians and sci fi, just yeah. everything yeah, in a big stew pot and put it, turn it into plastic molds and boom, you're done. Yeah. yeah. It's a really fun show. We'll have a link to it in the, the show notes, but everybody should be listening to it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Well, so anyway, like I said, we're here to talk about two films by Michael Caine. Now, of course, everyone who's listening to this knows who Michael Caine is. He's had one of the great film careers of all time. He's been in probably hundreds of movies at this point, many of which are really good. He was in the Dark Knight trilogy, the of course, uh, he's Get Carter, he's Alfie, I mean, the man who would be king, I mean, Hannah and her sisters, I mean, the, the man's just had one of the great Hollywood careers of all time. But uh, what films are, are Gotham and I choosing to talk about? Um, we picked uh, two films that he regarded by himself as money jobs, uh, which were movies that uh, he just took for the salary. And I guess he wasn't all that concerned about how they, how they came out. It reminds me of the quote that he had about Jaws Revenge, where he said, I've never seen the film, but I am familiar with the house that it bought me, and it's glorious. So uh, Michael Caine was one of those guys. He was like a jobbing actor who would pick things depending on, I guess, what seemed interesting to him and whether it was going to be a, maybe a fun shoot or how much money they were going to pay him. And so the two films we're choosing to talk about is uh, 1980's The Island, directed by Michael Ritchie, and 1981's The Hand, a horror film directed by Oliver Stone early in, in Oliver Stone's career. So you reached out to me, Gotham, about wanting to talk about the island. Like, why? Why did you want to talk about that movie? Okay, so I um, was just basically hanging out with a friend of mine, and he pitched me this movie. He's like, hey, do you want to see this Michael Caine movie? It's It's about him, like, and his son, and they get basically attacked by pirates and he has to survive. 
is this is how he pitches it to me. And and I'm like, oh yeah, because I'm thinking, you know, like, you know, oh, so, you know, they'll be you know, they'll probably be like, you know, some rich family with a boat and they, you know, modern day pirates and you know, lots of like AK forty sevens and stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, nineteen yeah. eighty style. And, you know, maybe drug runners maybe, you know. That's 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 nineteen eighties, right? You know, that'll that'll be a good a villain for that. And and it is so not that. And it's no. this like this left side turn, but like in a way I really love because it's um it's this mix of like this borderline between sort of like a science fiction story and a fantasy story in, in many ways, like, and yet, but like kind of set in this sort of like thriller setting. Um, so, which, you know, I, I have to say probably, probably props to like Peter Benchley who wrote it for kind of crafting this sort of like, uh, I mean, this is kind of almost like a, a Michael Crichton story or, um, and you know, it reminds me a little of, uh, Michael Crichton's like, uh, Eaters of the Dead, which is his version of Beowulf, where it's basically Beowulf is fighting off, it, it actually like Neanderthals, like, mm, okay. like a small, like tribe of them that are out there. And it's sort of this sort of like how something like the real sort of like scientific explanation might like give rise to this more like, uh, folklore explanation and that's where i like this the island the most and so that's why i reached out but it was also like just bonkers all of the people who were in it like the cast if you, when you look at the cast i've like they're all actors i've seen in many other things like uh, there were at least one or two star wars actors oh yeah and the head of the pirates is david warner oh I mean, and david like, warner. genre yeah. stalwart david warner yeah like you know my favorite, my favorite movie of him in this era is Time Traveling Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, Time After Time. Yeah, that's a great movie. I'm glad you mentioned Peter Benchley. I because, would be happy to come back to talk about that movie. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a great movie. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, he wrote – this is based on a book by Peter Benchley, and this was, of course, just a couple of years after Jaws. So Peter Benchley writing about anything taking place near water it was an immediate, like, yeah, okay, well, let's just develop this. And this is produced by Zanuck Brown, the same two guys that produced Jaws. Mm-hmm. And the opening credits are even Jaws-like. It's like a Zanuck Brown production, the title, and then, like, that's it. Like, there's no there's no real, other than Michael Caine, there's no other actors. Like, so it, you're definitely meant to feel like this is supposed to be kind of Jaws, but it is... This movie is bonkers. This movie yeah. is so all over the place um, in that like you mentioned these pirates. Like, okay, the opening scene of the pirates where they kill a bunch of rich guys that are, like, pleasure cruising, that's a horror movie sequence. I mean, oh. we see a close-up of a guy getting a, a, a cleaver right in his skull. And I'm like, whoa, this is like a gore movie. And then... Like later on, there's a scene where Michael Caine and his son have to land their plane on the island that they're that they're investigating, and it's like a comedy piece. And I'm just like, yeah. wait, what? It's like, and then later on, the pirates when they're kind of running around under the command of David Warner, they're almost like the Lost Boys. Like they're like older yeah. versions of the Goonies. So like this thing just toggles between tones crazily, and a lot of people didn't like it for that reason. But I could sort of appreciate that it. You just watch it as a as a history piece, and you're like. What a weird movie to make. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 
this is what so this is why I like it and it 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 walks a razor line and I don't always think it succeeds at it but like there's a very much like you know when he arrives on the island um itself and they finally kind of understand what's really happening there it's almost like he steps into like once again like this idea like a fantasy world so there there is this sort of that that sort of disconnect is this sort of like sort of detachment and unrealness because you know for him it starts in the should we over the plot a little oh uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm about to like basically go into the plot i just realized um do you, so he's you know he starts off in you know for you know we get this definitely like you said we get this very like horror movie opening i mean you, the guy the head in the cleaver thing i've seen in enough horror movies but like the the really big there was the fat guy who gets like hit in the stomach with the the axe. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. as a, as a big guy who would like, <laughs> too, I was like, oh, that, that I feel that one, <laughs> like so. And it was very when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's like that's where Tracy would say, stop it, please. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Buy me ice cream now. <laughs> like, yeah, we wouldn't get much past that scene. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, so and I understand that. Like, I that's why I was like, I my my wife hates scenes like that. So she likes tension scenes, and she likes, you know, she love she you know she loved Hitchcock because everything happens like tensely off screen in many sure. ways, and so she loves that more. She doesn't like seeing like the actual like cleaver into things and yeah, heads. You're oh, yeah. just yeah you're just not expecting that level of gore from a movie directed yeah. by michael ritchie and starring michael kane like it just yeah. that feels very like z-grade genre and you've mm-hmm. got yet this giant movie star in it that's the like it, it's very startling yeah but you know they the so in that sequence though they 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 uh, pay that sequence off later though too in the in the in the movie in that the um one of the 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 characters who's there in that very first sequence appears again. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That is the time. Yes. Yeah. So they they reveal. So so which which will play later into the 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 underlying plot. But but you know with with after that though we get with Michael Caine and you know he's in New York where I think it was like he was I think he's working for Playboy right. I think so. Yeah, he's a journalist yeah. named Blair Maynard. We should yeah, mention. yeah. Blair Maynard and <laughs> and he's um, you know oh we're like Tarantino. There's no such thing as a linear plot. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Um, yeah. So he's you know and he's so it's very much this like urbanite sort of setting and his son, his son who like is a real like like jerk, but I loved for it. I, I really felt he was like, Oh, this kid's like a, a kind of an ass. <laughs> but, oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. But, but yeah. at the same time too, he's like, he directs it as his dad. Who's like super deserves it. <laughs> so <laughs> well, because they're, they're, we should mention that he's divorced. Michael, right. Michael Caine is divorced from his wife. And so they're sharing custody of the kid. And mm-hmm. it's during this like week or week end that he has custody of the kid and you can you can get the sense that Michael Caine's character really doesn't have any time for this kid and like yeah. doesn't know what to do with him because there's this whole sequence where he takes the kid to a gun shop 
and yeah. teaches them how to shoot, which of course they're again you talk about paying off, they're gonna pay off later. But I mean that that's a whole weird scene where he's talking to the, the gun shop owner and like it's all this kind of guns rights stuff. And so I'm guessing if you're like a super pro gun person, you're like this seems like a fun father-son weekend bonding trip to me, but I was sort of horrified by it. Like, as you're teaching well, a 12-year-old how to shoot. Well, yeah, and there was also that, like, well, it wasn't just that, but it was also the established, like, you know, they're very much like, it's not that he can shoot. It's like, your kid's a natural. Right, <laughs> yes. You know, your kid's like, you know, if you if you want to sell your kid to the government to be a killer— you should probably do that because he's a natural at it. <laughs> That's I. It was, yeah. It was. It was very much. You know, it. It was about as Chekhov as it could get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Sequence. He's literally bringing a gun into the first act. I should mention just because I always have to make these connections. The actor playing the gun store owner. Uh-huh. Uh, is a guy named William Schilling. This is his first film. You've seen him in a million things, but I know him from a appearance on an episode of MASH uh, in the 11th season where he played a, the father of a long-distance runner, and the, the, the MASH unit thinks they're getting the long-distance runner, and they make a bunch of bets based on that, and then he shows up, and just because it's germane to the story, he's like an older, very heavy man. He's not a long-distance runner in any way, but uh-huh. I always know, every time there's a MASH actor show, showing up at something, I, I have to... You know, I have to make sure I mention that for the plug into the match cast show. So, so yeah, so there's that whole, the whole scene where they're setting up that, yes, the son knows how to shoot, you know, instinctively well. But they also show that he does too. Right. Michael Caine's character. Yes. Yeah. They also like establish it. It's, you know, it, it was interesting too. It's like, I, um, w- one of my other podcasts is, uh, that I very unfrequent one is, uh, dial G for gamer where. I talk about role-playing games, and whenever I look at um, movies, I often sometimes, like, cast them in in terms of, of game terms. And I'm like, see, they have the gun skills. <laughs> you know, they can they can do gun stuff now. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's it's an unlock, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a video, for video game parlance. But, but yeah, so that was a weird thing, but it was very much like, I mean, it was a little heavy-handed too. It was like, oh my gosh! So, so now you have a a gun. So that might not come in handy at all in this movie. Who's let me say? I have the DVD cover here. Has clearly like a pirate guy's hand coming out of the water holding a knife. <laughs> so it's a great poster. I mean, yeah. it's it's a. Re- I I remember seeing this image on uh, VH VH. Uh, uh, box shelves for years yeah. when I worked at the video store. I can't believe I never got around to watching it, but it's a captivating image for a, a, a thriller, horror thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but yeah, so they start off in New York and they have like this very idyllic, you know, or well, not idyllic, but very much, you know, very like urban sort of, oh, you know, absentee dad who's got custody unexpectedly and he has to take his kid, but he's got this, you know, this hot story about like pleasure cruises disappearing in. You know, private chartered pleasure cruises disappearing in a part of the Caribbean. So, you know, he kind of foists on his son that they're going to go to Disney World. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally lies. He's like, but first we got to do this other thing. And I'm and I fly love the, fact, the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> yeah, basically. We're going to fly the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about, forgot about that part. Like, this is also... Dun dun dun! A Bermuda Triangle story too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but uh, you know, 
so so yeah so then they and then like you said like there's that comedy bit so they have you know they 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 slowly make their way down to this little like like scrub of an island it sounds like you know right the landing strip for the plane is like a foot and a half so they when they play they when they land the plane they have they end up crashing it yeah because they can't do it and the pilot you mentioned is this actor named brad sullivan and it's that's it's total comedy like the guy who michael ritchie directed brad sullivan to play it it's like something out of like club paradise you know like it's again it's very tonally completely different movie than what we've seen at this point you know, I I got that at first myself too. Like it's like, oh, this is kind of very comedic. But then when they they land, you realize it's like, oh no, that guy's playing it up as comedic, but it's it's horrifying because they're like, you know, especially after the plane crashes, and it crashes because it's like the landing gears aren't down. Right, right. You know, it's not because like the the landing strip was too small. It was, you know, either he was too drunk and didn't remember because it's he seemed like the type <laughs> you know or was just like in the plane that was so like you know and it was it was a cargo plane you know they were literally like in amongst like livestock right yeah for <laughs> crates of stuff yeah, yeah 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 you know that was being brought to this island you know um and so he you know, and and so it could e- easily have just been his error, and so he crashes on that field, and and you know the co- the police officer who shows up too, um, I've seen him in stuff too, like like this whole cast from this movie was like I've seen you in something, I've seen you in something. So I that was the other thing I really loved about it was just like it had a cast that was you know just like it's very like recognizable for me oh it's all these character actors that you've seen i mean one of the pirates is played by don henderson and many of you are probably like who's don henderson you know don henderson because he is one of the members of the empire sitting around the table in the early Mm -hmm. part of star wars and he's the one telling everybody that uh the death star he says we are vulnerable that's that guy that's don henderson so you and the minute you see his face you're like oh that's that guy there he is it's great so yeah i mean yeah and you mentioned the um the uh, police officer i believe that zake smokey uh an african actor and again we've seen him in a million things so yeah these are like these are all jobbing guys yeah that are that are filming you know their 19th movie that year yeah, and like him, I think specifically, I think the my memory of him was uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. Yep, yep, that's that's right, that's right. Yeah, he's he's like the bad guy in Serpent in the Rainbow. Another creepy in the Caribbean film. Yes, with this... you know, with a, another like sort of like science meets you know sort of almost fantasy, right? Uh, and mysticism sort of sort of take. Um, yeah, so so then. So after they they become immediately stranded on this na- this island, uh, because the what the only way out is pretty much the airship field that has been, you know, damaged by by a crashing plane, which explodes, uh, like it bursts into flames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, so that's going to take them a while. Um, you know, they they continue to pursue the story, and that's when we. Um, that's when we get to uh, – what was the character's name again? I totally just drew a blank on his name. But they there's one man who knows like where to go. There's – well, there's Windsor 
played Windsor. by Frank Middleman. Yeah, he's kind of the old guy, and he's he seems initially like a friend, like he's kind of this avuncular older guy. And then we're going to learn out really that this whole thing is a blind anyway, because yeah. it's like basically a trap. And later on, Michael Caine and his son go fishing, which is of course you know something you do for pleasure when after you've been stranded on. I mean, I guess they need food, but like when they go when they go on their boat to go you know fishing, it's like it's they seem kind of jovial and they're having a good time, and then they discover a young girl in a boat. Uh, and that leads to, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's like they're slowly being drawn further and further into this stuff and they don't, nobody's really taking it like terribly seriously. Like I'd be, I mean, obviously I wouldn't be doing any of this anyway, but I would be terrified if I was experiencing what these guys are experiencing. Oh yeah. No, it's even just like finding the girl would be, you know, a stressful enough situation. Yeah. (laughs) You know, to make me be like, Oh, hey, it's just not safe on the water. No. <laughs> you know, um, how, how's the old saying go? You know, when you enter the ocean, you enter the food chain. Uh, I've never heard that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're still top of the food chain, but, <laughs> you know, it's like we, we have we have machine thingies. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I have a whole thing about that <laughs> from another thing. Uh, but, yeah, so. And this is where they 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 basically get caught and and they become attacked by um, what you know not just not pirate just pirates in the sense of like you know criminals at sea but like pirates in the sense of pirate pirates <laughs> you know and and that's when um, you know Michael Caine then uses the gun. So, which so pay, which I thought was interesting because it was like, well, that paid off early. Uh, I thought at first, but then of course we see why because they get captured and that's where they he they wake up again on the island, and this is where we're now in the the titular island and things go unbelievably sideways. Right, because these pirates are not just pirates. Like these guys are almost like a, a tribe that yeah. only like they have no contact with the outside world other than what they steal from these boats that come by, and so they're they're kind of like they they have their own sort of rules and the, like there's there's a a woman that's part of the tribe playing an act, actress named Angela Punch McGregor, which is like one of the great names I've ever seen, and like she sort of uh, at one point she has sex with Michael Caine, yeah. <laughs> kind of. No. She, she makes thrust with him. She makes thrust with it. I love the line, you thrust, no talk, which is yeah. – yeah, I've been waiting my whole life for someone to tell me that. But I, I mean <laughs> so there's that whole thing. So it's like it, it really does – but then it becomes – the movie shifts to like a Lord of the Flies kind yes. of mentality. And again, that's where like tonally I was unsure because sometimes they seem – the pirates seem kind of gamey and real savagey, which mm-hmm. I get. And then there's other times, like I said, where they seem comical. You know, yeah. like they they all look like it's like theater dress up, and well, like they're they're not scary at all at that point. I'm like these are guys are getting very silly looking. Well, I think part of the thing is like the comical nature that you see is supposed to be the like sort of like the mentally degenerate part. Like this is that that's the inbred part basically, right? right. The comical part, and and it's you know I mean because they're also I mean so many tropes come out of this that are interesting because for for. And I, this is the part I liked actually the most, the this sort of like sort of like genetically isolated degenerate tribe. I mean, they're basically almost like mutants, in a way, because they're you know heavily inbred, 
you know, they it's clear that they're like it's it's later intimated that they, you know, part of the reason that he's been directing them to, you know, that we later discover well spoiling, but like that they've been kidnapping people is they need more genetic stock. Right. You know? Right. Like they're they're too inbred and they're not producing like viable young. Um which is why like they keep Michael Caine alive. Oh, but it's also because of his last name Maynard. And it his name appears in one of their like ancient documents, which is probably I think like one of their like letters of mark or it was like whatever like declaration they made to whatever like colonial outpost they had established at the time at the and on that island. And so it's like that's literally like their like holy writ that they live by. And it's so it's very cargo cult too. You know, there's so much there. Like um they also reminded me of like the tribe of children from uh Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, which is an, uh, like one of my favorite movies. So <laughs> Love that movie. Uh, so, but yeah, so there's there's so much about that. But I love that idea of that very like sort of genetically isolated, like sort of this out of time. You know, it's funny because it's like like plot wise, they're this sort of like out of time thing. But thematically, they're like basically a ghost ghost pirates, right? You know, so that I love that idea of playing with that sort of playing with themes across genre in that way. I did feel like uh, the, the once we got to the island and they really got involved with the pirate culture, like I thought it kind of dragged a little because I was just like, okay, I kind of get it, like what's going on here. Um, I did find, like I said, the, 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 the scenes of action are really pretty violent across the yeah. board. I mean we already talked about the opening scene, but later on too. I mean they, when the pirates start hacking into people and shooting them, it gets pretty grisly and they use the young girl as like their bait. Yeah. All the time, and that's actually really. There's there's a scene where she's just sitting like on like a trunk all by herself, distracting everybody because you're like, what the hell is this young little girl? And she turns around and looks at the future victim, and she has like this little kid like smile, which is in the trailer. You see the moment in the trailer, and to me, it's really scary because you're like, yeah. this is this little angelic child being used to launch, you know, a, a grisly bunch of murders. And she seems yeah. to kind of know what's happening, and that part is, like, really horrifying. Yeah, that's and that's the other thing, too, is, like, they have this ability to basically brainwash people into this culture of theirs, too. Because right. they And they did that to, they do that to Maynard's son, which is basically the, the central conflict of the time on the island for him. You know, it's like right because the son starts turning against his dad. I mean, and as we've seen, yeah. I mentioned like the dad, Michael Caine's character is absolutely an absentee father, isn't terribly interested. The scene where the when they when they discover the little girl in the boat, right, mm-hmm. and they she's in like a rowboat and she looks unconscious, and the son reaches out to help her, and the girl suddenly wakes up and yanks him into the water, mm-hmm. and so Michael, all Michael Caine does is grab a rope. And throw it to his son. Like, that's all he does. Like, he's just like, oh, hey, you're here. You handle this. I mean, like, I think most dads would jump into the water to, like, rescue their son. But he's just kind of like, here, here you go. Like, I don't know. Like, it feels like he's not taking it terribly seriously. <laughs> or, or, or secretly he's a murderer, too. Could be that. Well, right, yeah. I mean, no, no helicopter parenting for, for Michael Caine in this movie. But then, yeah. again, then tonally, later on, when we have this sort of – it's not a montage, but it's a series of the pirates taking over. They they attack a guy, a bunch of guys on a boat, and one of the guys is, like, into karate. 
Yeah. And it's like, what? What? Did, did I stumble into another movie? What's happening? Because yeah. there's this shirtless guy, and all of a sudden he's like, and he's like super cartoony. I'm like, what's going on? I know, I know. It was, that would, it's so, oh, that that's the drug dealer boat. Yeah, yeah. Because they, yeah, and they, they, um, you know, they threw all the drugs overboard, and I just I just wanted to see a sequence where it's like, you know, Michael Caine could just totally – if he could get a hold of that, he could just get them all, like, coked up and fighting amongst each other. <laughs> <laughs> I would be cool to see a bunch of pirates that have really been living off of like, palm fronds and berries their whole lives all of a sudden, you know, uh, coked up. That would be yeah. hysterical. <laughs> Oh my god, it would be so bad. <laughs> that would be amazing. So, I mean, they said the movie goes on, and then eventually, as you mentioned, the son turns on the the dad, and that's like the whole angle. And then, really, the the big twist of this movie is at the end, where Michael Caine finally gets a chance to get the upper hand on them, and he gets in possession of a um, a machine gun, like a, yeah. one of those turreted machine guns. And there's this extended scene where he just mows them all down. And yeah. basically pauses and then continues to mow them all down again. Like, da, 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 and it goes on for like about 90 seconds of him just murdering every one of these guys. And this is, again, this is where the movie, I think, I don't know, I haven't read the original novel. I've read other books by Peter Benchley and I've actually liked them. This one, I don't, I don't know if I buy, and movies do this all the time, and I don't know how you feel about it, but like movies where a bunch of violence is visited upon our main character and then he becomes violent in response and the, the movie's point of view is always who's the real savage and I don't know I don't buy that because it's like well Michael Caine wasn't a murderer in the beginning he's reacting to a crazy bunch of circumstances I, I, I mean I've never murdered anybody in my life that I will admit to and never but I mean I think if a bunch of pirates captured me and my son I would take the opportunity to kill them if I could oh oh like considering the like savage jellyfish attack he had to survive like while making an attempted escape of the island um which they then put on the woman who is responsible for him oh my god he gets her in so much trouble throughout that entire sequence like by every time he escapes she gets like horribly punished and yet she still like weirdly sticks by him like the whole time like it's it's really messed up <laughs> but like um yeah, no, I'd, I'd shoot them down. He had the high ground. Like, yeah, <laughs> I just, just yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I've just, yeah. I've just, I've never bought the motif that if you respond to, if someone attacks you and then you respond in kind to get yourself out of that situation, then like you're just as bad as they are. I, I just don't buy that. I'm just like, no. Yeah. You know, there has to be someone who starts the violence, and it's the person that starts the violence is the problem. Not everybody else that responds to it. I just, I just, I never buy that premise. So I yeah. was thrilled to watch Michael Caine mow these pirates down because I'm like, well, these guys are just going to keep killing until they, until they're forced to stop. Yeah. No. Well, you know, the thing that was, I mean, and then what, what's going to happen? Like, you're gonna bring them into the world. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're I mean, gonna you're like, gonna bring... you're gonna bring these guys. They're gonna be like totally like become like, you know, they end up in like the equivalent of a human zoo somewhere. Right, yeah. You're you know? bringing them to New York or something? It's like the island yeah. two alone in New York. I mean, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with these guys? They're yeah, like they're I all mean, murderers. Like literally the only thing that would be even you know, that close to like not invasive would be, 
you know, just to like drop supplies so they don't have to go off the island. There you go. Right. But then even then it's like, that's rewarding them basically for you know, what they've done. I really so, feel yeah. that might be still violating the prime directive somehow, but <laughs> <laughs> could be. Yeah, there's all of a sudden there's like a Nazi Nazi island or like a know. you know monster <laughs> island. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's like I said, tonally, I think the movie's all over the place. I will say a monster I, island run by lobster mobsters. <laughs> oh, 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 we got to get off the. We'll, we'll pitch this later, Gavin. We'll, we'll talk about this. Um, mobster lobster. That, oh my God, it writes itself. Um, <laughs> I, I I am glad that you asked me to watch this movie yeah. because I did enjoy it because it is one of those movies that just would not be made today. I don't think. Yeah. I think it would just, it, especially at, at very at the very least, would not be made by a major studio with major stars at at yeah. a budget. That's because it's just a crazy bonkers movie. I would say it doesn't really work, but I was entertained by it. You know what I mean? Like through yeah. the whole thing, I was like, oh, "Where's where the hell is this movie going?" Yeah. And I did enjoy all that. And again, I, I, I said at the the top of the show about how. I think a lot of the people that are working in this were just jobbing actors. You know, they were just moving on to the next project. And you can look at, like, Michael Caine, where he was. He did The Island, and he did The Hand, which we'll get to in a moment. And in between, he did Dress to Kill, which is a classic. I mean, it's a great movie. So, like, he just kind of showed up and did stuff as best he could. And sometimes it turned out really well, and sometimes it didn't. And then, conversely, like, the director, Michael Ritchie, he, the same year he did The Island, he directed Divine Madness, the concert movie with Bette Midler. So, oh. I mean, it's the, you know, like, talk about the tonal changes. This was just a, this was just a guy that kind of took the gigs as they came to him, and sometimes things turned out really well. Later on, he did Fletch, of course. I yeah. mean, and then other times he did really bad movies. So it's like, and I, as movies now, as, like, actors become more and more, like, where they take, like, two years between projects and, like, some of your favorite directors – will make, you know, maybe eight movies in their whole life. I kind of appreciate craftsmen now yeah. that just were like, you had to make a lot more movies back then. You had to crank movies out. And I sort of, so I enjoyed it on that level. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's, I mean, I guess you're, you've, you've hit upon a, like a, a commentary also on like kind of modern movies in general, you know, we don't, we don't get that sort of, you know, there's only, it's rare that we're getting that sort of like, not even indie, just sort of like, you know, movies as 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 experimental art. Yeah. You know, right. like I'm going to try something. You right, know, there's exactly. there's very little. Uh, there's there's very much feels like very little of that. You know, right. there's just too much money at stake. Even the, yeah. even the smallest movie costs like forty million to make. You know, yeah. unless you're like the Blumhouse guys and make things for nine hundred thousand dollars. But for the most part, yeah, you just can't make these sort of like B plus movies anymore. And that's a shame because there's lots of stuff to, you know, there's lots of interesting things to, to find out there. Um, the, the actor, I do want to mention this is just correct. me up. The actor that plays the son, um, Jeffrey Frank, he has two yeah. credits, this uh-huh. <laughs> and one other movie called blood and honor youth under Hitler TV. So that sounds like a fun watch. <laughs> uh, I'm always amazed at how like you can. Yeah, really. Uh, we get enough of that in real life. Uh, I, I, I'm always amazed that like a, a, an actor can be in a movie at this level. Like, play, I mean, good lord, he plays all his scenes with Michael Caine. Yeah, and yet that did nothing for him. Like, it just after this, he just basically disappeared off the face of the earth. Like, I always find that stuff remarkable. You know, that yeah. careers can go like that. I just, you know, I did like that. He, you know, 
his character took the piss out of Michael Caine's character the whole time. It was like, he was not shy about saying, you're a shit dad. Oh, that had to be a fun gig for for Jeffrey Frank to be like, yeah. "Hey, you get to op- you get to act opposite Michael Caine and basically shit on him through the yeah. whole movie." Like that had to be fun to do, I would imagine. I'm I'm guessing Michael Caine's probably a, a fun guy to hang around with, so yeah. it was probably a fun shoot. Yeah, I don't know. I I would imagine. I would imagine. You know, all in all, I liked it. And and then you know, we also see that like like you said the the um the, the what was the guy's name again? Sorry, Bishop. No, um, Windsor. Windsor, Windsor. Um, it was so for me. The 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 key for the 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 clue for me was what he was reading when they met him, um, and I was like, oh, he's part of this. What was he reading? I forget. He's reading Origin of Species. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was like, what's he reading? Or it was either that, or he was reading. Um, it was that, or it was Sagan's um, book about. Dragons, something about <laughs> I forget the name of it. Oh no, no, no! It was Origins of Species. I think he was reading Origins of the Species. So it was like, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then once once they landed on the island, I was like, I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. That yep. guy is, yeah, that guy is somehow like connected to this because he's and and sure enough, yeah, as an anthropologist, like evil anthropologist. <laughs> Check out the book. You know, it's gonna. It's in the first act. It's gonna pay off in the third act. So yeah, it, it did. It did. It was Chekhov's book too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. After um, if, after this, I think Hollywood kind of. Uh, I don't want to say learned its lesson because that sounds harsher, but I think they really they kind of cooled to Peter Benchley after this. Yeah. I think they were sort of like, okay, he he captured lightning in a bottle with Jaws, and they tried again with the deep, which mm-hmm. didn't really go anywhere, and then they did this, and this didn't really go anywhere. So I think after that, it was like, okay, we're Peter Benchley had his had his moment where his books were being optioned basically sight unseen. And then they stopped after that. So it's, and it's a shame because, you know, I actually, Peter Benchley wrote a book, a a nonfiction book called shark trouble, which is about like real life stuff about sharks. And I find, I found it fascinating. I've, I've read it several times Mm -hmm. and I thought it was really, really good. And so, you know, it's, it's, but you can also see that he kind of, and I don't want to say he went to the well too often because that, that sounds more cynical than I mean. I think this was a guy that loved the ocean, and that's what he wanted to write about. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. It was the fact that Hollywood, I think, didn't really pay a lot of attention. They just were like, Benchley, water, done. Here's your, you know, here's your money. And if you're Peter Benchley, you're going to take it. You're going to be like, sure, go ahead and make the movie. You know, what do I care? It's, it, 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 but they were always looking for Jaws again. And you're, as we all know, you're not going to get Jaws again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it had... Two things they didn't have, like Spielberg and yeah. and and Williams. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, just it's, yeah. it's a good, and the music is even a little reminiscent of Jaws in this movie. There's a slightly, I mean, again, you can't yeah. help it. I'm sure doing a Peter Benchley water movie. Yeah, you no, can't no, help no, but no. do the da, 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 you, you know, what are you gonna do? So, but uh, anyway, I'm I'm really glad that you recommended this to me because I said it was a fun watch. So I I, I did enjoy. Was it. this the first time you'd seen it? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, so, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and and I, I enjoyed the. My favorite thing about this too is like, for me, was a little bit of just the idea of like, I got pitched it, and I was like, sure, you know, sight unseen. I, you know, didn't watch a trailer, didn't, mm-hmm. you know, hadn't seen like fifteen minutes of clips <laughs> by now on the internet. Any any of that, it was like, oh yeah, here. 
and and you know i i missed that you know because it was also you know he had it on dvd and it was just very much oh it's like a video store movie yeah exactly (laughs) yeah Yeah, right they said when you pitch it to me i was like okay i'll give this i love discovering stuff that like i was like oh i've never even seen that so it was it was a lot of fun so so that is the island uh is there anything else you want to say about it before we we take a break um i would definitely recommend like you gotta be ready for a little bit of like some fairly uncomfortable gore (laughs) from time to time and just sort of just to kind of like there's a lot of dread (laughs) in it too but like I think it's a it's a good movie and worth watching at least once. So, All right. Fair yeah. enough. All right. Well, that is The Island. So we said Gotham and I are going to take a short break. We're going to play the trailer. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our second Michael Caine film, Oliver Stone's The Hand. What <laughs> funny, You think I've done something wrong, don't you? Mm-hmm. Terror he could not forget. You think there's something in there, don't you? Torment he could not bear. You want to see? Truth he would not face. Hey! Take a look! Orion Pictures presents Michael Caine in The Hand. You don't want me to go to New York with you. I'm not talking about a separation or anything permanent or anything like that. I thought you understood that. I thought that was why you said well, that. Well, could... we obviously do not understand each other. Look out! <laughs> Get back! How does it feel? Life is still there. My fingers. I've been moving. You'll have phantom feelings for years. Heat, irritation, pain. Your memory is still feeding familiar sensations of having a hand along your nerve endings. What have you been doing during these blackouts? Misplacing things. I'd be scared if I were you. Did you see my signet ring? No. Are you all right? Oh, yes. You never know what you can do. The unconscious is capable of anything. You could do anything you ever dreamed of and never had the guts to do. Hi. I like the way you look at me. Blackouts are nothing to fool with. You could kill somebody. Ah! It's all up there. And you'll never know. Know what? Who you are. (laughs) Don't be afraid of the pain. Tell me what you're feeling. You're trying to kill me, aren't you? Sense it, feel it, touch it. You want to destroy me? What is your image? A man trapped in a nightmare. Rocked in the grasp of land. Oh, John. John? John? What's the matter? Why are you looking at me like that? There's no hand. Michael Caine in The Hand. Uh, now we're back for part two of our Michael Caine double feature. And uh, as I said, we're, we're talking about 1981's The Hand. I have to say it like that. Directed by Oliver Stone, which most people are surprised about. He didn't just do all uh, real highbrow movies. He also did The Hand. Uh, I want to read the description in IMDb because it's so brief that it, it achieves a sort of zen perfectness. A comic book artist loses his hand, which in turn takes on a murderous life of its own. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the, the, that's basically the plot of this movie, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, Michael Caine, as you said, he plays, he's not a comic book artist, actually. He's a comic strip artist. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a movie that I saw on cable when I was a kid, and part of the reason I was so attracted to it, it was a horror movie, but that he did comic strips. You know, like, yeah. that, that was something you didn't see in movies that much. And he draws a, 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 an adventure strip. Uh, which and we get to see him actually working on the strip, and uh, the artwork is by Barry Windsor Smith, the legendary Barry Windsor Smith did the, all the artwork for for the uh, the comic strip. And Mandro, Mandro, you're right, and you, it's kind of funny. It's like if you know anything about comic books or how comic strips are constructed, you know that like there's no way that a strip that looks like it's been drawn by Barry Windsor Smith could a run in a newspaper. Because it would be reduced down to the size of a potion stamp, and B, you'd never get it finished. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's a reason why comic strips look like Ziggy, because you got to get them done every day. You couldn't possibly bring the level of artistry that Barry Windsor Smith brings to his work and crank that out on a daily basis. But that's that's neither here nor there. But anyway, Michael Caine plays uh, plays the the writer and artist. His name is Jonathan Lansdale, and he is he has this very popular strip, and it's clearly very popular. It must be like peanuts level popular because the the spread he has. Uh, with his wife and his kid is pretty nice, and we get the sense that like all the money they make from the house is from the strip. Like that's where he's getting all his money from. And he has a he has a wife named Annie, played by Andrea Markovici, I believe is how you say her name. Mm-hmm. And we see from the beginning they don't get along. There's not a lot of love lost in their uh, relationship. And right at the beginning, she mentions that she wants to move to New York City. And he, they live out in in the sticks, and he doesn't really want to move. And she's like, well. She kind of suggests, um, I'm going to move to New York City, and whether you come or not is irrelevant. Uh, and he's, of course, mad at that because he's like, I, you know, my my thing pays all the bills. I, I, you know, I should get to, we should get to live where I want to live. And they're, right from the very beginning, they're very, very angry at each other. <laughs> they take a drive. She's driving. He's got his hand outside the window. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when when a car starts revving behind them and uh, Michael Keane starts yelling at his wife, she panics. She veers into the opposite lane, and here comes a trash truck coming the other side. It smashes Michael Keane's hand off entirely, and there's a great bloody sequence where his hand just goes flying, lands out in a field somewhere. He's taken to a hospital. He recovers. They don't find the hand, but soon after we see that the hand starts moving all on its own and goes on a killing spree. So um, this is a very silly movie. It's yes. very cheesy. Now, you hadn't seen it. I talked you into it uh, after you pitched the island to me, so I pitched the hand to you. What did you think of this movie, Gotham? Um, <laughs> it was, uh, whew. you know, I could definitely see, like, Oliver Stone's, like, the strains of him in there, especially when I think he did, like, there are a couple of uh, like color change shots where it goes to like a grayscale. Right, it's like a black. The poster is in like this pixelated yeah. black and white thing. So yeah, and it does that in the movie. Yeah, so I I, I didn't I, I I appreciated some of that work there, but like it was so like kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it's a movie. It was just so funny though. I I just was the whole time. Um, I'm watching it, and 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 it's. I do have like one big complaint about it, which was that like, it never felt like they gave us a reason to like, not be like, on Michael Caine's side in the first place. Mm-hmm. 
like throughout the movie because it's like he kind of opens when you you know that sequence you're talking about where his hand comes off. Oh, actually, let me talk about that sequence for just a second though. Um, so that is literally like the thing my dad would like, you know, scare warn me about <laughs> when I was like hanging my ha- arm outside of the car door or car window while we were driving. You know, where you do the thing with the arm and the you're doing like the wing, <laughs> you know, and. I would do that, and he would like, you're gonna, you know, a car's gonna come by and it's gonna just like chop your hand off. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw that, and I was like, oh my god, my dad is right. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that sequence, but um, yeah, no, it's just there's just there's no reason for the hand to come alive. That's my biggest problem. Like, it's like it's not possessed by something. There's no curse. There's no like <laughs> gets hit by lightning bolt or something. <laughs> Like, there's nothing there except for, like, boy, he's really mad at the fact that he's being cuckolded by his wife. <laughs> right. Or or she's really telegraphing the fact that she's like, I really want to sleep with other people. Because, like, that whole sequence in the beginning is clear. That's exactly what she's like. I want you to stay where you are. I want to move to New York and join this this group, you know. And um, it'll be cool because you won't be around and you can't see what I'm doing. Right, right. She wants to be like part of Est or something, one of these self-actualization things. And, yeah. And yet she's not – I mean Andrea Markovici has been in lots of other movies, a lot of foreign titles. I'm not that familiar with her, but she was like a real actress. I mean she was in the lead in a lot of movies and this is kind of a very um, – underwritten and unforgiving part because they the way the movie is constructed it is kind of like yeah she's kind of being a bitch you know and right from the very beginning you're like well i get the sense that jonathan lansdale is not an easy guy to live with because he does that michael Caine fury really quickly like he gets mad super fast yeah but you know what but he gets he gets mad about something that's like i i i can't see someone not getting mad about You know, right? I mean, when we see him like kind of really lose his temper, which is right about when he's about to lose his hand, (laughs) it's because his wife has basically made it pretty clear, you know, because she's like, oh, I got a place and there's absolutely no place for you to do your work. Right. The work that and, and he's very right, too. She's like, I want to move to New York and I picked a place where you couldn't do your profession but I need you to do your profession because I need you to pay for this. Right. I I would be like mad too. Oh, I I understand it. <laughs> yeah, I do like, understand so, it. But it's like it's so. Just, it, but so, but that's that, once again that gets back to this idea of like, you, you know, is it supposed to be he's kind of like the perpetually wronged party, but that's what brings out this this power in him because. Not to jump the gun, but he turns into basically by the end of this is like a supervillain. <laughs> right. He becomes – yeah. I mean after he loses his hand, he of course goes into a deep depression. He mm-hmm. has a meeting with his editor where the editor is like, well, you obviously can't continue to – because he loses his drawing hand, which is of course for you know, yeah. any of us that are artistic. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. And so his yeah, editor, no. his editor is like, well, we're going we're gonna to hire an artist to do the art for your strip. And uh, we, we there's that whole scene, and actually it's funny the the guy that plays the artist, the erstwhile replacement, is Charles Fleischer, 
Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. We got Rabbit. We got Roger Rabbit. Yeah, we got Roger Rabbit in this movie. And by, by that point, Jonathan Lansdale is, is completely demoralized and depressed and mad and pissed off. And so he just ruins the whole thing. He just pisses all over the meeting. And you get the sense that he doesn't own the comic strip. Like, it's it's not Peanuts where he can take it with him. So he loses the whole thing. So he loses his income at that mm-hmm. point. And then he decides to move away and becomes a professor. He decides he's going to teach. And that's where he picks up with one of his young students, uh, played by uh, Annie McEnroe. And that's like a whole weird thing because Michael Caine's character lets himself go throughout the mm-hmm. movie. Like his hair gets wilder and wilder. So he starts looking like uh, Gene Wilder from Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And he's all un- – he looks like he doesn't bathe. And <laughs> although we do see him in the shower at one point during a presumably fantasy sequence. Uh, but he just looks like he's just gin-soaked. And I can't understand why the young, attractive Stella would like want to sleep with him. Like why? Like maybe she's attracted to the power of it that he's a professor and she's got like a thing for that. But I don't. I just don't buy that Jonathan Lansdale is all of a sudden like, ooh, I want to get with this guy. Like that part is like, what really? And I feel the movie when she gets killed. Spoiler alert! Like it's this movie. I think has a real issue with women for the most part. Yeah, because I was wondering. I wanted to say like is. Did, did, did Oliver Stone go through a divorce like right when this happened? That's like, a good question. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because like the wife is not really portrayed very well. Like the new girlfriend is not portrayed very well in in this sort of way. And, you know, not in any way deserving of like horrible physical violence or death. But, <laughs> you know, it's for sure. But like. Still, like, you know, it's just, like, also, like, but you're just not, you know, not sympathetic for them. Right. Either. Right. Um, I mean, the whole second half of the movie is is trying to, I think they're trying to have it both ways where they are suggesting that it's not really happening, that this is all in Michael Caine's mm-hmm. head. Because, again, he has that scene in the shower where one of the shower handles turns into a hand and starts yeah. moving. So, clearly, he's having visions and he's having a breakdown. But then we see scenes of the hand crawling around in the woods and crawling around. There's one point where it kills a hobo where it's like, wow, it made it all the way to New York city. Oh. That's pretty, pretty impressive. And the hobo was Not played by Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, so you're like, well, did the hand crawl all the way to New York? That must've taken a while. So then you think, well, maybe it's not true. Maybe this is all, uh, this is all just supposed to be a character piece and that it's all happening yeah. in Michael Caine's head. And then he has a friend in the movie, um, a guy named Brian played by Bruce McGill, who was D day in animal house and um, they have a lot I, of scenes. I together. know him for, as um, one of Ma- MacGyver's friend, Jack. Oh, was he on MacGyver? <laughs> yeah, he was on MacGyver, which um, I always got to be give props to my boy MacGyver. Okay, so, fair enough. You know, hey, hey, he's he's why I, I carry a Swiss Army knife to this day <laughs> because of that show. In case you're ever trapped like, somewhere. And then um, also, I'm also like don't like guns very much, so. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so yeah. So, in, later on, when Stella and Brian end up dead, and the cops find them, then they convict Michael Caine because they're like, okay. And we see a scene of, of like that's the other thing. Oliver Stone has a tough time in this movie shooting the hand scenes because a yeah. a, a severed hand attacking people just isn't inherently that scary. And to me, it's very cousin it 
not cousin it, the hand, no, the cousin it's the furry guy. It's like the severed hand from the, the Adams family. Like it just yeah, isn't yeah. that scary. So you're constantly having to drape in shadow and the hand is always having to like kind of leap off of surfaces to strangle, huh? Thing? Thing, that's right, thing. So the hand yeah. is always having to kind of like fall off of things from, from up above and happen to grab onto somebody's neck and strangle them. So it's I, like, I think Oliver Stone is, you know, an amazing director. I mean, he directed some of the greatest movies ever made, but this one, he, I don't think he knows how to do horror exactly. Yeah. Although I have to say, okay, so there's the sequence that's a POV sequence where um, Michael Caine is talking to Bruce McGill and, and it's, it's where he basically like finds out that I guess Stella is missing. Right. Because she disappears. And Bruce McGill is drunk. And, and, but the way it's shot with it, like being a POV and like kind of the way his sort of like perception is sort of changing because of, of the encroaching madness (laughs) (laughs) that, that descends upon him is, um, I loved it. It was like, I was like, wow, I've been that drunk and in a conversation with someone that drunk (laughs) and it feels exactly like that. And I was like, that is a well, anytime a a sequence is like that, anytime like I feel like a sequence gets like being inebriated or on drugs, right? I'm like, that's interesting. I like that. I like that. I'd give props to that, but it was a nice shot. It was a nice sequence in that scene. But yeah, like it, he's, he's a little all over the place in this one. Um, I don't know. I feel like this this movie like really suffers. I feel like from having too much of trying to go with a a will you won't you because you know they they really play up this idea as like is it really the hand or is it just him and he just right. imagines the hand is this like you know his sort of fugue state imagining that he does that absolves him of guilt. Right. Is he disassociating himself from the crimes yeah. he's committing and he's imagining that it's the severed hand doing all this stuff? Yeah, and then. But then they clearly show the hand a bunch of times too, right? You know, and and it's just like and very like obviously it's like the hand and not him, and so you it's it's sort of like I, I was sort of like pick a lane. <laughs> well, that's well, that, that's the funny yeah. thing you mentioned that because it's the the final sequence after he gets arrested and he gets committed to an institution, and then there's this final sequence where Vivica Linfers, who uh-huh. most people know from the Father's Day sequence in Creep Show, which he would do a couple of years after this, she plays uh, a woman examining Michael Caine's character, and I love in the IMDb she's credited as Doctress. I, yes, Doctress. I, I, yes. I pretty think. Just doctor is fine. I'm pretty sure women doctors are just called doctors. You don't need to like add the trust part of it. It says that in the credits. That's when the yeah, credits th- roll. That is very strange. Um, yeah. And she's there, and she examines him. She has him hooked up to all like these uh, like brain node things on, and that like tonally, that scene is out of like a mad doctor movie. Like it's yeah. and it. I mean, I have no knowledge of this, but I, it feels like they made the hand. They showed the movie to an audience, and the audience was like, you know, it ended too quietly, so they had to like reshoot an ending that was much more bloody. Because all of a sudden, it really that sequence is like something out of Creepshow, where the hand jumps out of this thing and it strangles her, and this big river of blood shoots out of her head when she lands on the floor, and you're like. 
it's just totally like all of a sudden this has just become a straight ahead monster movie. Like yeah. all, all the subtleties thrown out the window for this final sequence where he's just watching this happen. And then, like, I enjoyed that sequence for what it was, but I'm like, it just feels very tacked on. Oh, and his teeth had gone like fully British. Right. Like, they were just like <laughs> so bad during that sequence and his hair, you know, they, there's a, at the very end of that sequence when he gets out of the chair and it cuts to a, like a black and white frame and freeze frame. I was like, he would have made a great Joker right there in that, that freeze frame because he's like, his hair's gone. He's got this pale, he's got this like crazed smile on his face. I was like, oh my gosh, that would have been, he would have been perfect if like they'd done like an earlier 80s <laughs> um, a Joker with him. But um, yeah, so at this point, we've also skipped the part where he gets a prosthetic hand. Right. Gets, that, gets the Luke Skywalker hand, yeah. Yeah, and it and it, it's not like, you know, it's not like nerve-ending, like, you know, actual cybernetic parts. But he's like a cyborg at this point. He's got this <laughs> hand where, like, when he pushes forward with his arm, it like, the, the hand closes. And if he, you know, if he gets the control right, he can open and close it. But it's also, like, really strong because it's, like, all metal. <laughs> and so, so he's... Crazed killer with a cyborg crushy hand <laughs> and a a a like uh, autonomously moving murderous supernatural hand. <laughs> well, when you say it like that, Gotham, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah, who escapes a mental institution, which, as far as I'm concerned, was Arkham Asylum. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's like I just I'm waiting for Batman to show up. Oh, the, like, the, 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 the movie ends – if this had been made 10 years later or, f- hell, five years later, they would have made a bunch of direct-to-video sequels to this because that's what it feels like. It's like the hand to the oh, yeah. fingering. It just has that – it just <laughs> – it totally leaves you with, with, with that feeling. You're just like – it's this Jeff Conaway stars as – I mean, you just know that's oh, what they would no. have done if, if, they, yeah. if they could have. They said, I like the ending because it is so silly. But it's just so discordant with what you've got. But as you're pointing out, it, he does have a robot hand in this movie, so maybe I'm being a little too a little too harsh on the the the, the tonal changes in this movie. Yeah, no. But when he gets that, I was like, okay, so you know, because that's the other thing too, because he has this now like crushing hand <laughs> with which he can like throttle the life out of people, you know. And I just the whole time I'm like, it's Chekhov's hand now, right? Yeah. They're- He's like, He's figuring in this all these Michael Caden. Uh, I was like, why? <laughs> so, but but yeah, no, it's it's just so it doesn't pick a lane, which I which you know we could say is kind of a complaint you could get out of the island too. Um, but I, I felt they they sort of do the balance a little better <laughs> than this one. But I don't know. I just I if you want to just go whole hog and have all of it, it's just. Why is the hand coming alive? Like, I just, there's, if, if it's because he got hurt and his wife, like, was unfaithful to him because he got hurt and prior to because he got hurt, is the reason he got his hand? I mean, like, or is that, is the reason that, like, a person, because their spouse does this thing to them, can get a hand? Like, there should be, like, a, a world full of, like, supernatural, like, murder hands. <laughs> That's an that's a movie I would want to say. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the fact that he's a comic strip artist, like that he writes yeah. and draws, like that isn't 
like layered into the story at all. Like he's not. They yeah. don't. You don't get the sense that he is someone who lives in a. I mean, like a fantasy world. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. It's just a job. And yeah. th- that he loses. I mean, the, the the fact that he no longer can do his comic strip is just a function of of like getting him into trouble. Like, oh, he loses his hand, so he can't do his job anymore. I mean, it really could have been any job that is like hand related. Like, it could have been a plumber. He yeah. could have been like a baseball player. You know, anything yeah. where losing your hand would be a debilitating thing. But I mean, it doesn't the fact that the comic? I mean, when I was a kid, like I mentioned, I watched this movie a because it was a horror movie, and b because it had a comic strip in it, and like that was like, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Uh, but it doesn't, once he loses the hand and he has that one scene with Roger Rabbit, it, that's it. It never figures in again. And I, I mean, it's not, the, it's not that kind of movie, but I would have loved, like, if they could have shown, you, I don't know, you wouldn't want to do a, a punch-in, but, like, a scene where we find out that, like, the move, like, the strip post him under the tutelage of Charles Fletcher has become, like, even a bigger thing. Like he's like they're oh. gonna make a movie out of it. It's gonna be a Landro movie. There's gonna like the sense that he really lost out by yeah. throwing everything away. That would have been kind of fun to like push him even further into madness. That it's like, oh, Dino De Laurentiis is gonna do Landro the Barbarian the movie or something like that. Yeah, I I um yeah, it just it just bugs me that they don't have an explanation. Like, I mean, could it be like an Indian burial ground or like? <laughs> You know, it's a pet cemetery or, you know, um, uh, what I'm saying is what does Stephen King do in a situation like this? You know, I guess, you know, that's not true. Like, Dark Half is pretty much like weird baby stuff, weird twin stuff. Yeah, like evil twin, basically. Um, Yeah, so that's, yeah. It's, it was just weird. That was part was weird. But then... I mean, once you get the cyborg hand, I was just like, yeah, this is cool now. I, I'm okay. I'm okay now with this. Like, he's got a cool cyborg hand. He's and, got a hell of an insurance plan that he can afford to getting a robot cybernetic hand in 1981. Yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that uh, I went into this – when you pitched the island to me and I was sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to share the pain and I'm going to force it <laughs> on you. Like – I was going into it with kind of like, all right, I think the island is going to be the one that's probably not as good. But it, you mentioned that yeah, both these movies tonally are all over the map. But the island has more of a kind of what the hell sort of feel to it, which made the tonal shifts to me a little more entertaining. This is more – to me, it's like if a horror movie's not scary, I don't know what it's good for. You know what I mean? Like it's like, like, and it's not terribly compelling. Like his character isn't terribly, terribly compelling. So to me, I'm like, this movie's not scary. The hand is very silly, and if the movie's not scary, then it's not much of anything. So it is kind of. I enjoyed it as a kid when I was ten, but I was ten. I also yeah. like the Police Academy movies. The hell did I know? Um, so yeah, it doesn't really hold what up. What do you think? I don't know. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's there's probably a reason why Oliver Stone doesn't you know think of this as one of his movies. I mean, he went on to Platoon and Board on the Fourth of yeah, July yeah. and JFK and all these renowned movies, and he won Oscars. This is just something buried back in his filmography. And this is something Michael Caine apparently, um, The Island and the Hand are two movies that Michael Caine like won't talk about. Like if you ever interview oh. him, he won't talk about. It. So these were just he just took the checks. And he moved on, and I mentioned how you know he did Dress to Kill in between The Island and the Hand, which is a great movie. Right after this, he went on to do Death Trap, 
and Educating Rita, which are two terrific movies. So, oh, Death Trap is so great. And so this is clearly like he was just one of these guys who was like, what do you got for me? Uh, I'll see if I can make this work. And if I can't, I'll move on to the next thing. And I sort of appreciate that. There's not a lot of actors like that anymore. I oh my gosh, I was hoping you'd mention Death Trap. Great <laughs> it's movie. Like, oh, well, it's also it's one of those movies where I'm like, because I don't think I'd seen Christopher Reeves in anything but Superman. But Superman, right? Yep, yep, yep. And then to see him in Death Trap, I'm like, it makes me feel funny, but it's uh, really good. Chris, I will. <laughs> to, it's to, really good. To, I, to plug yeah. another one of our shows, Chris Franklin has never seen Death Trap, <gasps> and I I told him because we did that episode. We did that episode a couple of months ago with Richard Donner. I'm never going to get tired of mentioning that, where we talked to him about inside moves. Wait, wait, wait. Do, do you know Mr. Donner? I call or... him I call him Dick. He's my oh, but we 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 did that episode to talk about the movie he did after Superman. So we're going to do another one of, about Christopher Reeve. And I told Chris I want to do an episode on Death Trap because oh that was gosh. the I saw that movie. I my dad took me to that movie when I was 11. And that that it's a great movie, but it, and I want to spoil it. There's a moment in that movie that, as an 11 year old, if you've only ever seen him play Superman, is very confusing. Yes, so, um, <laughs> it was. It really was impactful for me for an 11 year old Bob to see that movie. And so we want to do an episode of Superman Movie Minute on Death Trap because it really does say a lot about Christopher Reeve and where he was, the kind of movies he was interested in doing that weren't Superman. So we'll. We'll do that on Superman Movie Minute eventually. But said Michael Caine, man, he just continued on. And, I mean, I loved him as Alfred. He was great in those movies. So this is just, you know, it's like you almost can't blame him. You're like, okay, these are two movies that didn't really work. Let's just move on to the next thing. And yet he would win yeah. an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor just four years after this. So, you know, he's Michael Caine, man. Every, who, how can you – you love him. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's just – it's like – you you pretty much summed it up there. I mean, you know, he's just sort of some in a bad movie. A Michael Caine in a bad movie is like still a movie with Michael Caine. In still it. got Michael so, Caine in it, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So it's like it still always has that in its plus column. Yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know? So, well, I think that's going to do it for the Island in the Hand. Uh, two very very goofy fun movies. You can check them out. They're available on iTunes, and I think one of them is on Amazon Prime. Even so, they're they're fun watches. I would say. Um, much like Gotham, I would recommend The Island Over the Hand. I think it's just a more satisfying, goofy 104 minutes of your time. But The the Hand has some things in it, too. And it is fun to see the Barry Windsor Smith artwork. One last thing I will mention about The Hand was a quote that I found from Barry Windsor Smith about this movie. And I included it in the piece I did for 13th Dimension, where I did did a real retro cinema column on The Hand, where Barry Windsor Smith got into this movie – uh, through Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone was always a fan of his artwork, and basically, um, uh, no pun intended, handpicked him to do the artwork uh, in the in the movie. And Barry Windsor Smith thought that this was going to be his entry into movies, like he was going to leave comic books behind and be like a oh. movie artist. And he said that working in the movies was so cutthroat and so vicious that he was like, "Wow, comic books are is is you know kindergarten." compared to how vicious movies are, I'm going to go back to comics. And so that's what he did. So this movie was sort of like the beginning and ending of his movie career because he just didn't want to be part of that world. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I, I always did love, I do love seeing artists in movies oh, yeah. who are done by 
actual artists I know. Yep, yep. As the stand-in artist for them, and I'm just like, oh, I love it. I love it. You know. It's cool to see Barry Windsor Smith artwork at that size. Like, it's really, you know, one of the great guys to ever do it, and it's it's really, really beautiful stuff. So, uh, good. So, I think that's going to do it for the Island in the Hand, this Michael Caine double mm-hmm. feature. Gotham, thank you so much for coming back, man. And why don't you tell people again where they can find you on the internets? Oof, all over the place. All uh, over the place. You can, all over. You can find me on Twitter at, at Pulp to Pixel or at Motucast. Um, you can find us on iTunes at the Pulp to Pixel podcast where we have uh, all of our different shows. We have our Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond where they're currently in Marvel Secret Wars 2, um, which is <laughs> crazy. It's, it's <laughs> um, Secret Wars 2. That's all it needs to be. It's Secret Wars 2. It's Secret Wars 2. Yeah. Um, we have uh, we have Motucast, which is my Masters of the Universe podcast. Uh Dial G for Gamer, which is about um, role-playing games mostly, but superhero gaming in general. Um, we are uh, still doing Astro City. Uh, welcome to Astro City, although we've kind of taken a hiatus for a bit, um, mainly because we have all these other ones. And actually, I'm going to plug a um, another show of ours. Uh, th- this was actually going to be part of our network, but the uh, uh, for, but and it's a show that Sean's on. But uh, I convinced the, the our friend to kind of make it his own because he was putting so much work into it. So it was like, you guys do this on – but Nerdy Dad's podcast. Where ah, right, right, right. Where the two of them are going to be talking about um, their experiences as dads and, and dads with daughters uh, and uh, pop culture and how they introduce it and talk about it with their kids. So I recommend that one as well. Um, but uh, also listen to ours too. Very cool. Yeah, also Secret Wars too. Excellent. Yeah, I just had uh, Sean on my Mashcast, and he talked about the nerds, uh, the dad nerds show. So that'll that'll be real fun to listen to. I'm gonna yeah. get started on that. So, well, anyway, thank you so much for coming back on, man. I appreciate it. It's mm-hmm. always fun to talk to you. Uh, of course, anyone who listens to back episodes, once you listen to back episodes of this show, go to the network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. There, you can leave comments on this episode, and we're always talking movies on Twitter, which is at Film and Water Pod. So, thanks everybody for listening, and until next week. That's a wrap. Okay, I, I gave uh, gave Mike the jokes. Yeah. Uh, I won't say whether the jokes are good or bad, but sometimes you, you have to take you know what, yeah, what, what you, you have to work yeah, with. Yeah, sure. um, I'll tell you, I think we we should do this. Um, why don't you go back to the curtain? I'll give you an intro. The band will play you on. Go right out to the star, and in you'll be in one. Just uh. It is now showtime. <laughs> 12 o'clock show. Thank you for coming to Club Kitty Cat, direct from London. From a tour of all the USO bases in Japan. The stand-up comedy, and let's give him a healthy big hand, Michael King. <laughs> Things are getting tough for President Nixon, <laughs> as if he didn't know. <laughs> Ron Ziegler. What? That was an ad lib. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah. See, you, you don't don't laugh at the own joke when you say. Oh, if, if, if I just, not, seriously. Yeah. You oh, say if I they're not say. tough enough, but if you start yeah. laughing, you see they won't know. I, say, I hadn't heard it because it was an ad lib. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Things are getting tough for President Nixon. Ron Ziegler announced he didn't know when the next presidential press conference would be or who would be giving it. (laughs) A, 
mate was so drunk last night they found him in the Hollywood Wax Museum at three in the morning trying to get the statue of Lassie to give him a paw. We had a bad audience last night. They were the kind of people who would throw a beer party and lock the men's room. He did that one last night. I went to a United Jewish Appeals dinner. I did, yeah. And for all those who didn't pledge a hundred dollars, Yule Gibbons will go to Israel and eat the tree in their name. Ed is so cheap, he orders Ed is so cheap, he orders prune juice as an appetizer so he won't be around when the bill comes. <laughs> Doc? <laughs> I wouldn't wear that to a whale's hysterectomy. <laughs> Tommy, the transplant clinic called and wants you to donate your organs to science so at least someone can get some use out of them. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>